This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 26th of January. And yesterday, Norman, we reached a milestone that we've been waiting for for a really long time, the first official Therapeutic Goods Administration approval of a coronavirus vaccine in Australia. It was the Pfizer vaccine, and that's paving the way for the actual rollout, which is scheduled to start in late February, which is really exciting. But only a, a slice of the Australian population is going to be eligible for the Pfizer vaccine. The other one that most of us are waiting for is AstraZeneca. So now that the Pfizer vaccine's been approved, does that speed things up for the AstraZeneca, or has that vaccine just got to run its own race? Well, I've got no I've got no great insight into the Therapeutic Goods Administration approval process, but just looking at the data, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were much simpler to approve because the trials were much simpler. They kept the trials, I hesitate to use the word clean, but what I really mean by clean is you know, it's as delivered on the packet. You know, the, the way they designed the trial is roughly how they, they delivered the data. So although it's a complicated process and they've got to dig deep and they've got to look at the data, it's, I'm not trivialising the process of approving a vaccine. They've got to be really careful, particularly that it's now formal approval rather than emergency approval. The Astra vaccine presents them or should present them, if they're doing it properly, with considerable more headaches. Not because it's not safe, it is, but just who should get it and in what dose. Because the Astra vaccine trials were different between countries and they changed the rules a little bit as they went along. And so, for example, we've talked about it a lot. What happened was that uh, in the British trial, uh, which was 18 to 55-year-olds largely, they had manufactured what they thought was concentrated vaccine, which they could get more doses from, and therefore they diluted it, assuming that it was highly concentrated. And in fact, it wasn't, and they ended up giving half dose to some of the people on that trial, and then the full dose uh, for, you know, say, four weeks later. And what they found was, when they analysed the data, that that group of people got 90% effectiveness, uh, efficacy in the trial, efficacy at preventing disease. So that was one piece of data, but it wasn't designed into the trial. And they, they consulted with the regulator in Britain and they continued with that, that, that study. But whether or not, for example, that's enough data for the Therapy Goods Administration to say it's for anybody under 55, it's a half dose followed by a full dose. My prediction is they won't go with that because the, the trial wasn't designed to do that. But let's see. Then they did the other trials doing two full doses and they got 62% efficacy. But they also had a trial where they were studying a single dose of the vaccine to see what that would do. And in that trial, they discovered they weren't getting great antibody responses and these people needed a second dose. And this is looking at the trial overall. So they called these people back for a second dose. And sometimes that took quite a long time, quite a few weeks, up to three months. And what they discovered in the people who were delayed in getting their second dose because they weren't designed to get the second dose at all, but they were giving it, is that they got 90% efficacy too, although that data has not been made available in any shape or form. That's just what's been 
talked about by others. So will the Therapeutic Goods Administration recommend three months between doses? I suspect not, because again, not designed into the trial. And there are risks with waiting for three months, such as a new variant arrives, which undercuts the first dose. So that makes it a lot more complicated. My prediction is, for what I don't know anything, I'm not talking to anybody here, no inside information, is that they'll be straight up and down the line and there'll be two full doses four weeks apart. So why are we still pressing ahead with the idea of Vastra when we know that the Pfizer shot works and we're really looking at quite complicated and perhaps messy data from Oxford AstraZeneca? Well, the, rea- the reality is there is a bottom line to the Astra vaccine. It's safe. It's as safe as we know uh, for the um, Pfizer vaccine. It may even be safer because it doesn't have the compound in it which people are getting allergic to in the Pfizer vaccine, albeit in low numbers. And we know that it's at least 62% effective. So that's a bottom line. And that means and nobody got seriously ill or died on the Astra vaccine. So it's not a terrible vaccine. It's just not as good as the Pfizer one um, on efficacy. And we're producing it. So, so the problem is we, can re- we want to rewrite history. We can argue that they should have negotiated with Moderna and got more vaccine in. The reality is that Pfizer is struggling to, to supply countries around the world. They're having to um, sort out their manufacturing in Europe. And even if we said, well, that's fine, we're going to ditch the Astra one, just go for Pfizer, we'll be waiting a long time before we get the Pfizer doses in, whereas we can get on and and immunise people right now with the Astra one and get pretty good coverage, just not as good as the Pfizer one. Well, just sticking with the Pfizer one, because that's the one that's been approved yesterday. We've got lots of questions today. Jennifer's asking, could you please define how vulnerable is defined for the purposes of deciding who gets the Pfizer vaccine because we have a smaller number of doses? Well, first of all, people who are working in quarantine and on the borders, they are uh, they are highly vulnerable because they are the first the front line in new infections and overseas importation is our biggest risk. So they're highly vulnerable. Aged care and disability care staff, they are highly vulnerable. And people who live in aged care and disability care, um, they're vulnerable too. So that's they're the highest priority. Then it goes down to people aged 80 and over, people who are aged 70 and over, other healthcare workers, Aboriginal people over 55, because often they have other medical conditions, younger adults with a medical condition. They don't really define medical conditions here, but it tends to be things like diabetes, heart disease, and those sorts of things. So Alison's asking about the fact that the Pfizer shot, you get two doses. And she's asking, will Australia be keeping enough supply from the first shipments to give the second dose to those people who have the first shots? Or will they take a gamble and just give everyone what what's in the bank when they first arrive and then hope that more shipments have arrived by the time those people are due to have their second dose. It's quite clear from what the Minister for Health and the Chief Medical and uh, the Secretary of the Department, Brendan Murphy, have been saying is they're not going to do that because we're not desperate. That's what they've done in America to some extent and it's what, certainly what they've done in Britain. They've rolled out, and they did it in Israel as well to some extent, they rolled out and gave a massive number of people first immunisation and gambled on the fact that the second supply would come in soon enough to give the second dose. We're not going to do that. It will be held back and the people who have had the first dose will get the second dose in time. They're not not going to mass immunise. We don't have the urgency to mass immunise everybody and then hope that by the time you, you know the second dose comes in, further doses have arrived from overseas. And Andrew's asking, will he be able to choose which vaccine he receives? He doesn't mind having to pay, um, but he wants the better one. He doesn't want to risk a lower efficacy rate when we know that it's possible to have vaccines which have a much higher efficacy rate than we're seeing with AstraZeneca. My understanding is that you have to take what's going. And so what you're offered is what you, is what you get. 
nobody's forcing you to have the vaccine. You could always wait till later in the year and hope that you get the Pfizer one, but there's no choice. There may come a point where there's enough international supply where you could buy your own vaccine from the pharmacy, but I don't think the vaccines are going to be available from your pharmacy for many months to come. So you actually mentioned it very briefly before, Norman, that the Pfizer vaccine has some question marks around allergic reactions in some people. What do we know about this? There's been a study which has recently been released which looks at the rate in the first, you know, I think nearly 2 million people immunised and the rate is, in about, is about 11 people per million immunised. So it's not nobody, but it's not common either. So that's, a, that's reassuring. So yesterday people, we were... Celebrating is the wrong word. We were reflecting on a full year since the first confirmed COVID case in Australia and we asked you to tell us what your aha moment was with coronavirus when you realised it was going to be a big deal. And so many of you guys wrote into us, thank you so much for it. David, Holly and Alex all said that their aha moment was when the Grand Prix was called off in Melbourne. That sort of really major sporting event being cancelled was the, oh, okay, this is uncharted territory now. And other people talked about sporting events like the NBA. Yeah, that's right. And Kimberly says that her her sort of Oh, oh dear moment, was when the news broke that China was investigating a seafood market. Um, Kimberly remembered the first SARS freaking her out and felt like we dodged a bullet there. And as soon as something seemed to be up with a potential animal virus transmission scenario, that was what kind of uh, was the bad light bulb moment for her. And Marie, who's an anaesthetist, talks about seeing the footage of Chinese building sites for hospitals growing up, growing, you know, being built in a week and a graphic showing the, the death rates. Um, she found that pretty scary. And Rebecca, I think there's a lot of people who will identify with Rebecca's moment. It was that's uh, the news of the crisis in Italy, that footage of people in hospital beds wearing um, special breathing equipment was a real moment that I think a lot of people saw as being, this is a this is a health emergency. And the last one from Lee, who says that the Ruby Princess and watching all those hundreds if not thousands of people disembarking um, and saying that doesn't seem right. That's right. So if you've got more of these moments that you want to reflect on with us or if you think that there's a moment that we should talk about, let us know. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and click on Ask Your Questions and mention Coronacast on your way through so we can find it. And we hope you've had a nice day off and we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.